All right, you're listening to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. On today's show, the Silver Fox, Eric Repair, chef co-owner of New York's Labernadan restaurant and author of the new memoir, 32 Yolks, From My Mother's Table to Working the Line. But before we get to Eric, I want to hear from you, the listener. You can email us if you'd like at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com and let us know what you think of the show. What do you like? What don't you like? What would you like to hear more of? Who would you like to hear more of? Oh, and also go to iTunes. And if you rate us, that helps us a lot. Give us a star rating. And if you want to throw a comment in there also, go ahead. We'd love that too. So thank you in advance for getting in touch with us. And now here is me and Eric Repair. All right, Eric, so this is your sixth book? Yes, yeah. five cookbooks and one memoir. And uh, is this something you've been wanting to write for a long time or how did this come about? I was in Aspen seven years ago and Suzanne Mercanditi was an editor at Random House and she said, uh, you should do your memoir. And I thought she was joking, <laughs> and she was not. And it took me two years to be convinced. I but thought, wh- I, why? Because I thought I have no story. I was like, what's what's so inspiring about what I have done in my life? Everybody has a story. Yeah. Everybody has some drama in his life, and so on. Which, um, which is why reality TV is so popular now. Yes, you know? of yeah. course. The real stories are good. The real stories are good. Uh, two years later, I started the process. It has been um, very slow. <laughs> and today's the result, uh, 32 Yolks. Um, now, so I, I was reading the book, and I think what's interesting about it um, is how vivid your memories are from, a, from a, being a young child growing up in France and Andorra. Did you really remember all this stuff? Yes, it's amazing. Um, I have an extremely... A strong good memory um, from age four, five, six, seven. All those years, I can go into details. I found it very forthcoming. And, and your early years, family-wise, were hard. Your, your, your yes. parents split up. There was fighting. Your father died. I mean, how did you decide what to share with the reader and, and what not to? I decided to, to share everything. I have no... I have no problem to share the painful experiences, uh, memories. I said, well, look, this is what happened. Obviously, we're going to have to edit to Mm -hmm. to put it in a book, but I have no secret about how I felt, uh, what happened to me, uh, what happened to my parents, and so on. Is your mother still alive? Yeah, she's still alive. Were Were you worried what she would think about what you wrote? A little bit. I talked to her this weekend. And uh, <laughs> after the book is published, <laughs> oh, yeah, mom, by the way, I wrote this book. <laughs> she said she got a bit emotional uh, at times when mm-hmm. she read the book. And she said, uh, But why do you focus so much on your years uh, in La Tour d'Argent and, and in Robichon? And I said, Because it's a memoir about a chef, it's mm-hmm. not necessarily about our life mm-hmm. as a family. Um, but but you wrote a lot about those younger yes. years that you really remembered. The idea of the memoir, it's not a tell all mm-hmm. kind of a book. But it's to be inspirational, and inspirational to many people. Obviously, young cooks who want to become chef, but also I think to young people who are going into the the world of working. And you know, you're not born with knife skills. Yeah. You're not born um, even if you're a great rider. Um, if, even if you have the qualities of of riding. In, 
somewhere. You need to first learn the alphabet. You need to write. You need to. It's a process. And the early two yolks, I think, is inspiring to those people to understand that don't don't get stressed. Don't don't rush. Don't don't feel like it's too challenging. You're gonna go to make mistake, and those mistakes will will make you better, and you're gonna learn from there, and and be confident, and so on. Now you you say yeah, you're not born with those skills, but you were born with a certain appreciation for food. Your mother was a wonderful cook. Yeah. She, you write about how her and your stepfather would take you to Michelin star restaurants as a seven eight year old kid. Yes. So you seem to have appreciated food from a pretty early age. I did. I like the rituals. I like uh, meaning what like the ritual of service. Um, I like the the, the l'art de la table uh, in French, like you know, like the way the table is set with the beautiful glasses and china and and so on. I like, of course, beautiful surroundings and restaurants uh, uh, with star Michelin uh, have that. Um, and I, I I like a great food from a very young age. Therefore, I came into cooking because I love eating. Uh, but I didn't know I, if I would love to cook. Yeah. But you're a little French boy with shorts on. Shouldn't you have been outside playing soccer? I mean, was that what your friends were doing? Or was it kind of unusual that you had this appreciation? It was unusual, yes. My friends were were playing soccer, and I was in a kitchen watching grandma doing the daily apple tart that I would wow. eat every day. We used to go to the market because it was a daily market. It was not even a weekly market. And where was it? This was at your grandparents when you yes. in the summer? Cannes-sur-Mer. Mm. Mm-hmm. And they had a daily market, and they will go every day, buy what they need for the day. So right now it's 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 May, first day of May here yeah. as we record this. If we were to go to that market in May, what would we find? The market? Well, peas, asparagus, fava beans, sp- uh, spring onions. Uh, you start to see some uh, strawberries. Mm. Did you eat a lot of seafood growing up? Since if you were around there, or? not too much. Because I had an incident when I was young. Mm. I uh, <laughs> I swallow a bone or something like that, and then my father took me by my feet and shook me like that, oh, head wow. down, to to make sure that I was uh, <laughs> alive. Alive, and uh, for for a while, I, I had a bit of a dislike for fish. <laughs> wow, that's great! So when so when did you come back around to fish? When I was a teenager, when I was in culinary school, mm-hmm. and. Um, at, at the graduation, after graduating from culinary school, working in La Tour d'Argent, I, I really started to to enjoy seafood. Yeah. And at, at what age? Um, I was 15, 16, okay. 17. And so you, your father, your, your parents divorced. Yeah. Your father died when you were? I am uh, 11. 11. 11 years old, yeah. Do you still think about him as you've gone on in your career at all? What, what he uh, would think? No, no, not not. I mean, sometimes, of course, mm-hmm. but not like uh, on a weekly basis yeah, or monthly yeah, basis. Yeah. It, it it happens sometimes. So if I look at the picture, I think of him. Uh, yeah. uh, but it's not it's not in in my mind every day. What was his biggest influence on you? Do you think appreciation for life? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't met Eric Repair, he lives a pretty okay life, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I try, <Yeah. laughs> but if you don't, nobody's gonna do it for you. Exactly. Right? Um, he was a bon vivant. Yeah. Uh, however, he was pretty serious. He had. This, uh, he was in a banking, and then mm. uh, he worked hard, like you. He worked. He worked, worked really hard. hard. Yeah. He yeah. worked really hard. Yes. He, uh, there's a nice. You uh, reprint a note, uh, a letter of his uh, that when you're after they divorced, and your dad would write you uh, that he had. Just watched the thriller in Manila with his fellow Muhammad Ali, yeah. and and he liked the fact that people, some people don't like him because he's cocky. But I like that. You being cocky is okay, Eric. 
uh, yes. that, that was a funny note. Did you? What do you think about that? Well, at the time, I was like, what is he talking about? Yeah. Because very often, um, I wouldn't understand what he was relating to. Mm. Uh, and you were not grabbing the phone every five minutes to call. The telephone was very expensive yeah. in France. You were writing letters. Yeah, yeah. So I would have to ask. I was like, what's going on with that fight in Manila? Yeah. <laughs> Where is Manila? Who's Muhammad Ali? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and sometimes, of course, we, we, we understood each other. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So when, you know, so, all right, so your mother was a very good cook. At what point did you, you make that leap from, hey, I like food to I want to become a chef? That's a big leap. Yes, it is. I'm 15. I'm a bad student, <laughs> uh, like very bad to the point that I ended up in a principal office with mom. Why do you think you're bad? In this day and age where everyone is analyzed for their learning issues, why do you think you're a bad student? Well, I'm bad for many reasons. First of all, they made me jump a grade because supposedly I was a genius, which I wasn't, <laughs> yeah. obviously. Uh, then I moved to Andorra, where everybody speaks Spanish and Catalan. Oh. Uh, then my parents die, I mean, my father dies, so it's another challenge. Um, I think it didn't help too much. And it was not in my nature to work hard uh, academically. Yeah. Um, so I was like more creative and, and mm -hmm. about visuals and so on. Um, so at, anyway, at, in the principal office, I was delighted because I was like, now I can go to culinary school because it's a vocational school and I will be able to cook and eat a, a lot yeah, uh, and, and learn the craft and, uh, and, and live my passion probably. I was not sure yet. Um, but, in, but in France, you could start – in America, culinary school is a college equivalent. You don't go until you're 18, no. 19. But in France, you could go as a, as a high school student? You can start at 13 or you can start at wow. 15. I did at, uh, the, the program at 15. It's yeah. a two-year program. Mm -hmm. And then culinary school was kind of boring because you learned the basics. Yeah. It's not very exciting. No. But I knew I had the passion already. Um, and I knew I would become a chef. By the time I graduated, I was like, this is what I want to do all my life. I want to be a chef. And that was a revelation in a sense. That's a great feeling to know. Yes, you know? of course. I, I think that's the hardest thing for most young kids. They, they just don't know what they want to do with themselves, which is tough. It takes a while. It must, it must be stressful. Yeah. I never had that level of stress because I always knew it was about food. Yeah. Um, and so then moving to Paris must have been pretty cool as a kid from the South. Uh, it was cool. It was terrifying too. I was 17 years old by myself in Paris. This is 1980 uh, or so, or what? 19, uh, eight, uh, 1982. 82. Okay. Yeah, I and I didn't like Paris too much on the beginning because first of all, it was the sky was gray every day. It was <laughs> raining every day. I was coming from the south. I was like, where's the sun? It was cold. Um, I was making very little money. In a kitchen, you don't get the best job yeah. uh, when you start in a, in a three-star Michelin. Pretty sure you get the worst, right? You get the worst job, and you challenge every day. You're very challenged. Uh, we were working a lot of hours, 17, 18 hours a day. Wow. It was crazy. Uh, but I mean, then Nowadays, we, if you do that in France, after two days, you're done. The 35-hour work week now. Then you, yeah, uh, yeah <laughs> you, you are done. You cannot even have overtime. Yeah. Uh, but then I started to enjoy Paris after a while. Um, I started to go out uh, <laughs> with my friends and, you know, I mean, 16, 17. Yeah. Uh, so who were you living with? I mean, if you're a 17-year-old kid. Said, I was by myself. Really? I had a studio. And like what, what arrondissement or whereabouts? I was living next to La Tour d'Argent, so I was in the fifth arrondissement. Okay. Uh, in a very nice studio. I mean, small, but yeah. cute. Yeah, you're in Paris. And, yeah. uh, and I was, 
uh, yeah, pretty happy in that studio for for about three years. Would you have like one night off a week, or how many? How many? How uh, we had we were we could have sometimes mm -hmm. two days off. Okay, but yeah. usually it was one. Yeah. yeah, and you would go out. And... We would. I, I was going out every night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you eventually started to enjoy yourself. Yes, of course. <laughs> now you you once told me this crazy story, which I think it's the title of the book is derived from about having to make is it. Hollandaise sauce yes. at Tour de Jean. This sounds insane. Can you please explain this to the to the yeah. listener? Yes, sure. So the book is called 32 Yolks, and it's a defining moment in my career because it's my first day in La Tour d'Argent. 30 seconds after entering the kitchen, I cut myself uh, slicing a shallot. Uh, then the chef... Uh, look at me and says, go get me some Cherville. I don't know what Cherville <laughs> is. I'm like, what is it? So the guy is looking at me. He's like, where are you coming from? So he's like, okay, make an Hollandaise, which is a very basic sauce in cooking. So he's, you knew that at least. Yes, I yes. knew that. I have, I have, I had trained in culinary school, but with three yolks, four yeah. yolks. Yeah. He says, okay, take 32 yolks. So by the time I break the, the eggs and separate the yolks, he's already pissed off because it took me an hour. Yeah. Um, At this point, did you think, oh, this guy's just messing with me? Or did you think, like, no. oh, we really need this much hollandaise for service? No, I believe him. Yeah. I'm like, uh, okay, I'm going to do it. It's yeah. going to be. But then I have the, the, the yolks in a pot, yeah. and I'm supposed to emulsify them with the whisk, and it's a technique as well. And But you have to do it by the stove. And then I realized the stove is basically a, a deep red piece of metal. It's so hot. What do they call that? The uh, the big flat top in in French. Uh, uh, in, in French, uh, le piano. Yeah, and it's just a big slab of like steel that's steel, just hot yeah, as hell. Yeah, like cast iron. Yeah, or, uh, cast iron. But it's yeah. it's red. Yeah. So then I realized I'm like, that's not cool. That's not cool at all. Yeah, it's scrambled. It's good if you want scrambled so eggs. So I'm like, I'm yeah. not going to be able to do it. But let's try. And then. I realized the whisk and 32, the mass of the, the, the yolks yeah. is very heavy. And with the whisk, I can't basically lift the, the yolks too much. Um, I'm burning my face, so I have to go like far away from the stove. So, the, I, so I don't understand. So how does, it, how does it not turn into scrambled eggs this way? Well, it did turn into scrambled eggs because, <laughs> because I, I didn't go fast enough and yeah. because I didn't know what to do. Yeah. I got stuck with those eggs. And the guy, when he, I mean, my chef, when he saw it, he was horrified. Yeah. Um, and then it took me weeks to master um, the art of whisking eggs. And, oh. and make a nice sabayon before you incorporate the clarified butter to make the hollandaise. You always hear about how tyrannical French chefs are. On the first day, the, the chef must have known that there was no way you were going to do this correctly on a, on a stovetop that high. I, I don't think so. I think the guy thought he, he was giving me a basic duty. He, he was like, <laughs> let's, let's give the kid something easy. To, okay, he cannot cut, he cut himself already. Uh, the Cherville, he has yeah. no idea what it is. Okay, at least he knows how to make an Hollandaise. Let's go. 32 yolks, I do something else. I'm, 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 I'll be fine. And then he realized it uh, was not right. <laughs> why, uh, why didn't they fire you? I think what happened is that they saw in me um, the fire, the passion. I really, really wanted to become um, a chef so much. Mm. Uh, I was trying very hard. I was yeah. coming very early. I was doing extra duties. Um, even on my days off and on the afternoon, when, when I had a break sometimes, I would go buy carrots or celery, onions, and I, at home I would practice my knife skills. Um, I was really, I mean, like trying so hard. Yeah. And they knew I was 17. 
Um, the chef of, of the brigade, uh, Dominique Boucher in La Tour d'Argent, knew I was 17. He mm -hmm. knew I was um, very ignorant about a lot of things. What he wanted to do, I guess, it was like um, integrate in this team some, some young kids with little knowledge, with some guys with more wisdom and some, you know, like, uh, like almost like a team. Yeah. Like a football team yeah. with different roles yeah. and so on. Because ultimately the chef and the sous-chef knew my experience was basically very limited. Then the the, the chef poissonnier or the line cook, um, they did, didn't necessarily know where I was coming from and what was my experience. They were hoping to get some great help. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which I didn't. So wait, all right, so if the if the 32 yokes hollandaise was that first big challenge of yours, that sort of like shook you and, and you remembered it. What, do you remember that one day where you realized like, oh, wait a minute, I'm actually pretty good at this. Was there one dish you yeah. prepared that you nailed? Well, the Hollandaise, I nailed it at one point for yeah. sure. Um, and then I, I was like so comfortable with it, I was kind of showing off. You see my savayon, look at that. Um, you know, it took me, it took me probably few, like two or three months before I start to master plating um a, a dish that will go to the client mm. from from scratch yeah. and playing play plating on time uh with the rest of the kitchen for the same table um being organized being clean um making the food good i mean it, it took me probably a few weeks few months and tour d'argent which is three michelin stars at the time at the time la tour d'argent in 1982 yes three, three michelin and it's been around for 300 years or something 400, 400. in in 1982 was 400 years wow. then you went to joel robuchon. robuchon yes who at the time was on the rise as kind of well he was considered uh the the new genius yeah and everybody was talking about him in how the industry the media were very uh intrigued he was very young how did how did you get the job the chef of La Tour d'Argent recommended me to go there. Oh. See, why, but see, if, why? That's interesting when chefs do that because if you were becoming a good chef and they had invested a lot of time and yeah. money in some extent to, be, to teach you how to become a chef, why was he willing to let you go at that point? Because I, w I wanted to go and I, I asked him, I said, you know, I would like to leave La Tour d'Argent and do you have a recommendation or should I look for a job on my own? Because you wanted to keep learning, get other experiences. It's a tradition in my industry that you don't spend your life in one restaurant. Mm -hmm. You go to different uh, chefs and restaurants to learn different styles of cooking, uh, different techniques and so on. And um, when I told him that, he said, well, you stay here until I tell you to leave <laughs> and uh, I will find you a good job. And then one day he called me in the office and he said, okay, today's the day. You're going to go interview, and the chef is Joel Robuchon. And you knew him at that point, right? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, whoa. I was like, whoa, my You must God. have been nervous. Um, well, the, the beauty when you're young is that you are very naive. <laughs> you're young and stupid. <laughs> you have just like, yeah, young and stupid. So I think I was pretty relaxed considering the yeah. fact that I was talking to the best chef of, and, and, of, of and, Paris, and Robuchon, and Robuchon interviewed you himself? yes. And he was very sweet, very nice, uh, very um, smiling all the time. And the interview went extremely well. Yeah. And I, I started a month after, not even, maybe a bit less, after my interview with him. What's he like in the kitchen? Is he intimidating in the kitchen or? Extremely intimidating. Um, he has an incredible charisma and aura. Mm -hmm. um, he's very demanding. 
Does he yell? It, it, no. That was uh, a big difference in between uh, La Tour d'Argent where it was a lot of yelling uh, and, and he's very, he wanted his kitchen to be very quiet and he's not a screamer. It's not in his nature to scream. Mm. Um, also, he was not throwing uh, pots and pans and, and, and it was no physical uh, punching on the cooks yeah. and so on. Robichon was not like that, but he was putting a lot of stress on us for the quality that he wanted. It was demanding. Uh, very demanding. Yeah. Um, and when he would be unhappy with your dish, he would call you and say, look at this and look at that and look at this, redo it. And was very firm in his um, way of interacting with us. But again, you were taking your plate, you were going back to your station and you were praying for him to be happy because you, you, you could see on his face like the, uh, the stress and the disappointment. Yeah. And, and you're, you're only 19 or 20 at this point? I'm 19. Yeah. yeah, I'm 19 at that point. And at the end of service, so say it's 11 or 12, like are you just sort of emotionally, physically exhausted at that point? What's it like to punch out? At that age, you're not tired. And you know, we were, we were wired on espressos. Yeah. I mean, we were like drinking like 10 espressos a day with sugar. Yeah. Um, we were going out. Yeah. <laughs> so what time would you have to be at work the next day? Starting 6, 6.30. Oh. Um, in, the, in the afternoon, evening? No. In on the, the morning? morning? Yeah, you yeah, had yeah. to be at work at 6.30 in the morning? Yeah, yeah. 6.30 in the morning. I was the, one of oh, wait, the latest. that's crazy. Wait, I so was one of the latest one. I was coming at 7.00. Oh, because you uh, did lunch? You had to do lunch and dinner Lunch service? and dinner. And then sometimes you will have a break. Sometimes you, you wouldn't have a break. And you were ending uh, around 1 o'clock. No. At, yeah, of course. I'm not joking. But you had to sleep. Well, at this, at this age, you don't care. <laughs> I mean, you don't oh sleep God. much. Then you had, we had Saturday, Sunday to relax. Okay. <laughs> to go to church. <laughs> or, or, or to go out again. Yeah. Um, wow, that's crazy. Um, so eventually you made your way to the States uh, and you worked with Jean-Louis Paladin yes. in D.C. Yes. Um, now, Jean-Louis, I think he was one of those chefs who, he was kind of ahead of his time before the whole celebrity chef thing happened. And he explains Jean-Louis to people who don't know him. He's a, it was a character. Jean-Louis was definitely a character. And going from Robuchon to Jean-Louis uh, in Washington was like leaving Catholic school and being dropped out uh, Woodstock. Yeah. <laughs> you know, something like that. Um, no, he, he, he was extremely creative um, from the south of France. Um, he loved to scream, but in, we all love him. He has a great heart. He was very generous with his talent. Um, and he was the first, he had two Michelin stars in France, in right? In France, yeah, so 28, he, 28 years old, yeah, very he was, young. So he was the first sort of super French chef to come to America. Yes. And he opened Jean-Louis at the Watergate. Yes. Um, and it's, Which is odd because D.C. is not, at that time, certainly was not a city with much culinary sort not of too passion. Much. Not too much. And he had a mustache and a deep voice and deep voice, smoked smoking, a lot all, smoking, all the time. Smoking uh, two packs a day. Yeah, kind of um, long hair. Long, long curly hair. Um, so did you hit it off with him immediately or were you like, who is this guy? Mm, we had some, we had, <laughs> we had a couple of problems at the beginning. <laughs> what were the problems? Well, communication, because uh -huh. I thought he would speak to me in French. Uh-huh. And he spoke English only. Really? We, uh, and I didn't speak English. Why so, would he not speak to you in French? So I guess for me to learn English. Oh. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was the idea. Um, and also I was, I was coming from Robuchon Kitchen, extremely organized. Mm -hmm. Um 
and Jean-Louis was very creative and uh, and a little bit of a hippie um, yeah. artist like and and it, it was such like you, a cultural but, change but, but I was that, lost Eric repair today that some of that must have rubbed off on you of course yeah yes but at the time you were some hotshot kid from Paris and you must have been were you cocky when you got to a, to DC the first day yes yeah. not the second <laughs> <laughs> I I really believe America was the country of McDonald mm -hmm. and that was it. Yeah. And America should feel lucky that I was coming to help <laughs> to create some good food. Front page and of the Washington Post. Second second day I was like, damn, this guy is good, Jean-Louis yeah. Paladin. Yeah. His food is delicious. Aha. And it's not easy. Oh my God, it's no organization here the way I thought. And yeah. and I was lost for a few months. Going out in DC after like midnight, it's not easy. There wasn't not a lot open at the time. Would you out go out afterwards? I was going out a where, little bit, yes. Where, where would you go at the time? I'm from D.C., so I'm just curious. Uh, um, it was a, a nightclub that was a bank before. I don't remember the name. Oh, well, there was that one well, down on like F Street and 9th. Yes. Uh, like, yeah, the, well, there was the bank and stuff. Yeah, I think it was called the bank. Yeah, down by 930 Club. And so was, you, were, would, you were there, what, mid-80s? Uh, no, uh, beginning of the 90s. Beginning of the 90s, well, yeah. So yeah, that would have been of, fifth column. The fifth column, that's yeah. it. Yes. A friend of mine used to own that place. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I spent some nights there. Me too. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, so eventually you're like, all right, I'm, I'm ready for the big leagues. You moved to New York City. Um, you eventually uh, you spent some time with Boulay, correct? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And eventually you find Laberna Dam, but I think a lot of people don't know that you were 27 whatever years old, but you were not the chef at Laberna Dam. Gilbert Lacoze was still alive at that point. Yes. Gilbert Lecoz was still the life, was the owner and the chef of Le Bernardin. But he hired me um, to be his chef. And he said, look, uh, I want to develop the business. He was, he was a visionary at the time. He wanted to open restaurants and so on. And he said, I need um, someone young and talented who can handle Le Bernardin, understand the philosophy. I give you total freedom to create and manage the team. Uh, be respectful to what we have done. And uh, I said, okay, fine. In your mind, what was the philosophy? It became our mantra, and I think it was not written on a piece of paper, mm -hmm. but it was in the mind of everyone at Le Bernardin, the fish is the star of the plate. And therefore, whatever goes in a plate is to elevate the qualities of the fish, mm -hmm. uh, and which makes his cooking very minimalistic in a sense, because mm -hmm. you don't care about having too many vegetables for... Uh, nutritious reason or presentation or anything. It's all about the fish. What's going to make the fish best? But that must have taken an adjustment from a culinary level to go from, you know, Robuchon, who's famous for his pureed potatoes with you yeah. know, a pound of butter, and Jean-Louis <laughs> had a very, you know, robust style, to a much yeah. more sort of refined take on cooking. Did it take you a while to sort of adjust? Well, Robuchon style was extremely refined in mm -hmm. presentation. Of course, the mashed potato yeah. became yeah. a staple, mm -hmm. but he was... He was very, very demanding on, on the precision mm -hmm. of the presenta presentations in Paris. So with Gilbert Lecoz, uh, I was well trained by Robuchon to be able to and understand and also uh, I had mastered the techniques, how to cook the fish and so on. So it was a, a fairly uh, easy transition when I went to Le Bernardin. So, so that, was be I mean, that was before I moved to New York, but at, at the time... Is it fair to say, were, were any other restaurants in America cooking fish like Gilbert cooked? Could you go, was, you know, the notion of getting salmon medium rare on the inside, was that a sort of Le Bernardin thing in terms of how they actually cooked fish? Yes. 
the idea was actually the salmon was rare yeah. because Gilbert was very animated about cooking the salmon rare. And, uh, and that must have been unusual for the typical American diner at the time, right? Where yes. We have, like, was, we have like the, the salmon you grow up with is baked in the oven for an hour. And, and for a reason, because it was very difficult to get fresh fish. It was, it was probably dangerous to eat it mm-hmm. rare and it was stinky and yeah, yeah. you tried to kill the, the fish yeah. a <laughs> second time, right? right. But Gilbert was, was changing all that because he was uh, sourcing the best fish at the fish market. He was um, the first one... Uh, non-Japanese to do some raw fish yeah. uh, as appetizers. Did he, Did he? was he a, f- a fan of Japanese restaurants? Did he go to a lot he, of sushi he, places? He didn't know anything about Japanese cooking. Really? So then Nothing. Wh- so then where did he pick up the techniques from? I have no idea. I never asked him. But I think it's because in Brittany, uh, very often the fishermen on the boats, when they're hungry, they s- slice the fish yeah. uh, very thinly. Uh, they put a bit of salt pepper. Yeah. And if they have olive oil, a bit of olive yeah. oil, and it's, it's the way it is. I think that inspired him probably. Um, but he had no understanding of Japanese um, tradition or anything like that. Uh, but he was the first one in America to serve some tartars and some yeah. ceviches and yeah. so on. How similar is your food today to what he cooked back then? We have evolved because obviously 1986. Yeah. Uh, and 2016 is a long, long period yeah, of time. The whole country. We have a, yes, and we have great ingredients. And we, I think, Gilbert was very attached to his roots, Brittany, and he was cooking uh, in in a very light way, not too much cream, not not too much butter, but a very French. Today we cook, f- you know, it's a New York restaurant, so we cook from. The inf- from the experiences and influences that we are seeing all around us, um, chefs travel uh, much more than before, yeah. and you come back and you, you are inspired by your trip, and, and therefore you ap- apply some techniques of, of flavors to, to, to your food. Le Bernardin today is, is changing all the time with the experience of life that either myself or the sous chef have, and when we create the dishes. So, Gilbert passed away suddenly. What, yeah. what year was that? 94. 94, yeah. In July, he had a heart attack. Um, and then all of a sudden, they you're you're running the place by yourself. And Maggie, his, his yes. sister. How jarring was that? I, I remember being very affected by his loss because we were very close, very good friends. And uh, he also was kind of a father figure for me. Uh, so that was affecting me a lot. But I was also extremely driven and and very focused. And therefore, I just said, you know what? He's not here anymore. Uh, Maggie and I had a discussion. She said, I want you to do your cooking. Like, forget what my brother was doing. Now you're doing only your cooking. And I said, okay, fine. I take the challenge. Um, and then I narrowed down to and you're what, 28 or so? or 29. 29. Yeah. And by all accounts, in terms of reviews and stuff, it seemed to work well, right? I mean, yes. What, well, was it really that easy or were there bumps we don't know about? It, I was, so I was creating my dishes and mm-hmm. I was making sure that the quality was fine and I, I was focusing only on that. Um, and I understood that the New York Times was giving reviews and it was very powerful to get four star yeah. and very very challenging to lose one and so on. And Ruth was the critic at this point, Ruth right? Rachel was yeah. the critic and she came 12 times. Wow. Uh, from August to April of the following year, uh, she came to Le Bernardin 12 times and 
finally, um, I ended up with the four star, and I was like, <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't, I was like, I can't anymore. Well, I'm assuming at, she at must have liked it. Just like, yeah. you, can't, you can't deal with it anymore. Um, so that must have been huge, obviously. Yes. What, what, did, what did you do that night? Well, we party hard. And, uh, like the whole staff? The, the entire team, yes. We, we party all night. At what age uh, did you start to get into Buddhism? Well, Buddhism in seriously mm -hmm. in the late 90s. The 90s. Yes. Like uh, before I was intrigued and I was attracted to Buddhism. Mm. But in the late 90s, it became really something that I was in interesting and interested. And I started to study. And uh, today I still study um, every day. I practice every day. Um, rituals, meditation, teaching. I have... Um, uh, a great teacher who comes once a week is is um, a Nepalese Tibetan monk to my house, um, and in between I have other teachers and and I, I I study. What triggered that move at a point like not to move beyond just being interested, but to actually really pursue it seriously at, at a fairly young age? What what made you think, oh, I'm I'm mm. ready to take this step now? Well, first of all. Um, before that, I was not necessarily happy in my life and mm. happy with myself. And uh, one day I, I reflected and I said, what's wrong? Why, why am I uh, a guy with a temper and I'm sometimes uh, dark in my mind and so yeah. on? What's happening? And, I've seen you in the kitchen. You don't yell. Did you, did no, you, used, to, yell. Did you used to? Oh my God! Yes, really. Uh, I was I was yelling and I was um, having tantrums and I was breaking plates and <laughs> on, uh, when I was unhappy with the plates and uh, and the team was very unhappy also. Yeah. And uh, I said, you know, I have to change my lifestyle. I have to completely change my way of thinking. And uh, Buddhism at that time brought uh, to me a lot of support and. Uh, and, and it's how I change. And I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm finding an inner peace that I never had before. And uh, I was attracted to Buddhism more and more. And, and today, of course, it's, it's still a work in, progr in progress, but it's a, a great gui guidance, uh, spiritual guidance for me. It's interesting because you're centered professionally also. You have Le Bernardin, and you have not really ventured out a lot to 14 other projects and fast casual concepts. You've been kind of content Yes. With your one sort of hallmark restaurant. Yes, I am content. And it's very important to find your level of contentment. Uh, so some chefs need 20 restaurants to mm -hmm. be content because they like the challenges and they like to multitask, I guess, and they like traveling in the places. Yeah. And, and, and they must have many reasons. For me, I like to to have one place where I focus the most. Uh, we have a restaurant in Cayman Island as well. But... Um, I am at Le Bernardin. I like to work like an artisan with the team, very close to the team, inter interacting with them. It's very re rewarding to me. Um, family. I spend time with my family yep. and also I find time for myself. I think it's very important to have time for yourself to reflect. It makes you uh, potentially a better husband, better pa uh, parent, uh, which uh, the family will support you to be a better boss. The mm -hmm. team will su support you to be a, a better family member, a better boss. I mean, it all works together, right? 
I might have to hire you to be my coach. <laughs> I, I feel like as you're talking about this, I'm like, I could use some coaching. I need to, I need to get my life balanced. I think balanced. you're pretty okay. <laughs> oh, I'm not know. worried about I you. I don't know. Um, chef, before we let you go, we're going to do our lightning round of questions. Okay. Either or questions. E- either or. Yes, yeah, so you got to answer. Okay. Langoustines or lobster? Langoustine. Where do you get yours from? Scotland. Scotland. And they, they arrive fresh in those little apartments or whatever they I hear They arrive about? fresh and live. So what do you pay per langoustine? I cannot tell you. Oh, I know, I know what you charge. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, uh, pastis or rosé? Oh, it's tricky. Uh, both. Both. <laughs> What's your rosé of choice these days? Domenot. Domenot, No yes. doubt. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, this is uh, your friend Andre. Uh, Chateau Marmont or Chiltern Firehouse? Both. No, you can't say both. Chiltern. Have you been to Chiltern? Yeah, you have. Yeah. I have not been. That's, that's yeah. Andre Blas's new-ish hotel it's in, in London. It's unbelievable. I've been to the it's, bar there. The bar is phenomenal. It's Chateau Marmont on steroids. Yeah. 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 We, we did a story with the uh, the cocktail bar last uh, Yeah, last the October. bar is amazing. Beautiful, though. The horseshoe-shaped one. And he yeah. had some very um, uh, knowledgeable bartenders who teach you about scotch. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Until you don't remember. <laughs> um, foie gras or monkfish liver? Foie gras. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, oh, this is a this is a triple one. Michelin Guide, San Pellegrino Fifty, or New York Times Review. That's vicious. Oh, come on, which one? Which one do you want the best? Oh, if you got one of the three, like tops, tops, and one of the three, what would you prefer? Today, you cannot you cannot have one of the three. You need to have the three. Really? Yeah. You think a, a great New York Times review is not enough? Great New York Times review is amazing, mm-hmm. but in terms of business, mm-hmm. it will be forgotten in six months. And then uh, the tourists in Asia and, yeah. and in Europe don't know that you got four star in the yeah. New York Times. But if they have the Pellegrino or the Michelin. Yeah. Oh, I, I hope I know the answer on this one. Razor clams or geoduck? Guidoc. 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 Yeah. That's a geoduck. It's, it spells guidoc. I call yeah. it guidoc. Maybe okay. I'm wrong. I don't know. I love, I've come, I've really kind of love razor clams where you get them and they're all kind of like ceviche-ed in the shell. And yes, it's nice. I think they're delicious. But the up. texture of the, the guidoc, uh-huh. it's much more firmer yeah. uh, when it's fresh. Yeah, I don't and, love that. And uh, the flavor is more refined in my opinion. I don't know. Um, all right, a couple more. Uh, Saumonier or salt-baked branzino? Saumonier. What's the, what's the secret to a good one? Because it's not cheap. Uh, to have fresh fish, uh-huh. uh, and then good butter because meunier means you're cooking it with butter, mm-hmm. and uh, to be focused on what you're doing because you don't want to fuck it up. Well, how do you fuck it up? What's what, I mean, where, where, where do where do restaurants go wrong? Because it's such a simple dish, it seems. It looks like, but the the pan has to be at the right temperature. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to give a, a, a nice color on the sole, but not too much because mm-hmm. the, it, then the flesh will become dry. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't want to overcook the fish because, again, it's, it's going to become dry. If it's not cooked enough, the sole is very firm, mm-hmm. and then it's almost like chewy, like a, like a yeah. chewing gum. It's not good. Um, so, but as, as, as a cook, for the home cook, and if, I'm, if you're cooking a fish like that, how do, you know, how do you know when it's done? How do you tell, or how do you tell a young chef mm. to, to, to know? For the sole, uh, it's a flat fish, mm-hmm. and, and therefore— Like flounder? Yeah. yeah. Therefore, um, you take a, a small knife and you look in the center by 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 the bone, right? Mm-hmm. The spine, and yeah. by the spine. Yeah. And if um, 
you will see if it's translucent, it means the, the, the fish is not cooked yet. And uh, if you start to be able to remove the, the, the filet from mm -hmm. the bone, it's cooked. Take okay. it out right away. So it's okay to peek. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, you're taking it off the bone anyways. Yeah, you're going to take it off the bone, yeah. And then for the sauce? Well, the butter has to go at the right moment. Mm -hmm. And the temperature of the pan has to be perfect because if it's too hot, you're going to burn the butter. Mm -hmm. uh, if it's not hot enough, the butter will not become foamy. Mm. And when you put the lemon juice, you have to... It doesn't really emulsify, but yeah. it basically comes together. Uh, yeah. If it's cold, the lemon juice just stays on, you know, on the bottom and the butter on top. You got me so stressed out. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm going to order it at your restaurant. I'm not going to make it. Uh, all right. That leads to the final question. Olive oil or butter? Olive oil. Wow. That was a quick one. Yeah. French guy. French guy. But you're, you know. Uh, from the Mediterranean. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Eric Repair, thank you so much. No, thank you, Adam. Pleasure. Hi everyone, my name is Belle Cushing, one of the producers of our show, and I just wanted to remind you all that we are not just a podcast, we are also a magazine, and if you don't already subscribe, you can today with this special offer that we have for podcast listeners, three issues for just $5. If you go to bonapetit.com slash summer grilling, you can get three issues starting with our June grilling issue for just five bucks, plus you also get a cool apron and a summer cocktail guide, so it's a pretty good deal. Bonapetit.com slash summer grilling, three issues for $5. And while I have you, I can also tell you that this podcast was produced by myself and Carrie Polis with editing by Mitra Caboli and additional help from Christina Che. Our theme music is by Valerie and the Greedies. We have new episodes every Wednesday. And if you want to subscribe to our magazine, you can go to bonapetit.com slash summer grilling. Thanks, guys.